Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Tonight we'll be talking a little bit about the Human Rights International Tribunal, focusing on immigration justice and the 43 disappeared Mexican students, as well as sharing original poems on the topic by Rafael Jesús González. We'll also put a political foot forward with news and analysis by José Daliot of what's going on in Puerto Rico. We'll also give a taste of the upcoming San Francisco Latino Film Festival with the director of Eastside Sushi. And we'll hear an interview with Puerto Rican cumbia group Chinchillos del Caribe. And make sure to stay tuned because we'll be giving away two pair of tickets to go see the Latino reggae band Godwana straight from Chile. They'll be performing at the Mezzanine in San Francisco tomorrow night. All this and more, so stay close to that dial. Tonight's program was produced by Julieta Kuznir, Vanessa Bohm, Nina Serrano, and Vilma V. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio today a very favorite guest, Rafael Jesus Gonzalez, poet, scholar, activist. And today he's come in to tell us about a very exciting event he's going to be participating in. Bienvenidos, Rafael Jesus Gonzalez. Muchas gracias, Nina. Siempre es un placer estar contigo. The same. We've heard that you're going to be part of the International Tribunal of Conscience of People in Motion that's going to take place at NYU in New York City, September 25th and 26th, hosted by the History Department and the Hemispheric Institute of NYU, and that Noam Chomsky will be one of the presenters, as well as the Honorable Cruz Reynoso, the former Justice of the Supreme Court of California, and other notable people, and of course, among the most notable will be, for me, yourself. Muchas gracias, niña. Eres muy amable. You have been chosen to give the opening ceremony. And for me, that's such an appropriate role for you. I've seen you in that role many times, for example, at the Oakland Museum for Dia de los Muertos, where you've conducted the opening ceremonies, and at other events where you've kind of given the benediction and the opening pathway for spirituality to enter into the conversation, into these public events. And I wonder if you could speak about how you're planning to conduct that ceremonial opening. Well, in my usual way, Nina, in uh, honoring the, the traditions of the Native peoples of the Americas, from the Arctic to the Antarctic, of calling in the directions and placing ourselves in the context of space and time to open to open the space and the time for what I consider one of the organizers and everyone participating in it consider the sacred act of healing. The search and the steps we take to bring about justice is always a healing and a sacred act. So what are the topics that are going to be brought up at this Tribunal of Conscience? The overall topic is going to be immigrant justice, immigration justice. We're seeing great movements of people as the toxic effects of capitalism is seen more and more infringing upon the well-being of the planet and of its peoples. And immigration justice is a worldwide topic. 
I think that for this conference, we will be emphasizing the immigration into the United States by the peoples of Central America and Mexico, taking into consideration that since 2007, there have been 140,000 dead and 27,000 disappeared in Mexico City alone. Of course, the United States is not free of guilt in this in this tremendous atrocity that's happening to Mexico, and not only Mexico, in El Salvador and Honduras and throughout the Americas. And is that going to be part of the agenda, this discussion? Because it does coincide with the first anniversary of the 43 disappeared Mexican students in Ayotzinapa. Yes, yes, very definitely. And how the situation in Mexico has been brought about by by United States policies, primarily three, the institution of NAFTA that has been disastrous for the economy of Mexico and for the war on drugs that has been disastrous for the peace of Mexico and the Medida Accords or the Medida Initiative, which is militarized Mexico, placing weapons in, in the hands of a repressive government and of a great criminal element. And it's not always clear where one ends and the other begins. The lines tend to be blurred. So as a poet, I wonder if you could share how you prepare to do an opening spiritual ceremony. Is it very close to the experience of writing poetry? How do you approach it? I guess poetry is also a sacred act. I approach it by preparing well ahead of time in my meditations and in my private rituals, taking part in TP ceremonies and in the mezcales and focusing my attention on what on what would be required of me in that event. I would be doing the opening ceremony too, but I will also be serving on the jury as well as being named by the organizers as one of the elder guardianes del pueblo en el movimiento. So one of the organizers I know is Dorinda Moreno, and I know Dorinda, like yourself, to be a pioneer in ethnic studies education. She was one of the first people to teach a feminist class in La Raza Studies at San Francisco State. And you yourself were the founder of ethnic studies at Laney College. Yes, and uh, actually Dorinda and I have known each other for a very long time, I think. Met in 68 or 69 in readings as poets, but also as organizers for ethnic studies. Well, you know, I think of you always as a border person. I think of you as my border friend. Born in El Paso, a border city, crossing fluidly from Juarez to El Paso, passing fluidly from English to Spanish as you do in your poetry, always insisting that if a poem is read in English, well, it must also be read in Spanish and the reverse. And even that your house, when I visit you at your house, when we walk in the door, I'm in Berkeley, but by the time we get to the kitchen, I'm in Oakland. You're very much a border person, so this idea of immigration is something very natural to you. Yes, Nina, I guess you're right. I guess I'm fated to borders. <laughs> Born on one and probably die on another. It's interesting growing up and the border made me disbelieve in borders. Our peoples, the indigenous peoples of the Americas, the Native Americans, if you will, 
never had borders. We roamed from place to place, and to us, the earth has always been seamless. Borders are artificial figments of, of the imagination, and, and politics have been used more than any other thing as, uh, as abusive institutions. I wonder if you would read us one of your poems. Thank you, Nina. I would be delighted. This is the poem that I wrote at the time that uh, 43 students were disappeared from Ayotzinapa. I guess it's appropriate since that would be one of the topics of the Tribunal of Conscience in September. Luna sobre Ayotzinapa. La luna llena convierte las sombras en águilas y en jaguares, en colibríes y en culebras que se cuelan por las aulas y sofocan los pasillos de la escuela normal. Su luz mera se torna en los ecos de los gemidos de la llorona, buscando sus hijos desaparecidos. Una mezcla de dolor y de so rabia inunda los patios y calles. Hay lágrimas y sangre en el viento, aullando por la justicia. En sus respisas aletean los libros como mariposas nocturnas, y se manchan de sangre las banderas. Moon over Yosinapa. The full moon turns the shadows into eagles and jaguars, into hummingbirds and snakes that infiltrate the classrooms and choke the hallways of the teacher's school. Her very light turns into the echoes of the moans of La Llorona, looking for her disappeared children. A mixture of pain and of rage floods the patios and the streets. There are tears and blood in the wind howling for justice. In the shelves the books flutter like night moths, and the flags are stained with blood. You just heard Rafael Jesus Gonzalez reading his original work. We look forward to your return from the Tribunal of Conscience of Peoples in Movement in September and hope you'll come back with a full report of what happened, especially since you're going to be a jury member. You will have been paying very close attention. Yes, indeed, Nina, and I would be delighted to share what I learned with you and our audience here in the Bay Area and beyond. It will be things that we must be aware of and conscious and that too often are hid in clouds of obscurity by the media and by a government who would rather not have us know exactly what it does. So I'm hoping that the jury, when it makes its pronouncements, will leave them so that we can use them as a basis for action, because without action, a tribunal won't be very effective. Yes, you are absolutely right. And words and the search for justice should always lead to action, to change things as they are, so that we live in a just world, a kinder world, a world healthier world. For the, for the people that inhabit it, and all our relations, the other animals, the plants, the minerals. Muchas gracias, and thank you so much for your wisdom and your kind words. Gracias a ti, Nina.
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. We are going to do an interview live from Puerto Rico. We are lucky to have radio station WQBS, and we have with us Jose Ortiz Daliot. He has worked many years in the political realm in D.C., and now he is in Puerto Rico, and he works on this program, Tertulia Politica, political chit-chat, where he covers all kinds of themes affecting Puerto Rico, international news, anything that really comes up with his colleagues, and we're lucky to speak to him here at the station. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's my pleasure, and welcome to Puerto Rico, Julieta and Vanessa. I hope uh, you'll be back here. You have a great program also in the Bay Area. Hopefully, you will take back some memories and also some of our insights so you can share with the community of the Bay. Thank you so much, Jose. So one of the things we've already been talking about is how, unfortunately, when people hear news about Puerto Rico, the focus really is on the negative news. People hear about the crisis, all kinds of crisis, unfortunately, economic crisis, water crisis. What they don't hear too much about is the positive stories or innovation coming out of the island. What do you wish people understood? What are some things you'd like to share with our audience in the Bay Area? Well, Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States, and a lot of people in the United States are very, I don't, I don't want to be... Uh, offensive, but it's are ignorant about, about what happens in the island and who we are. First of all, we are U.S. citizens. Since 1917, the United States Congress decided that Puerto Ricans should be U.S. citizens, and they imposed citizenship by what is called the Jones Act of 1917. So we are part of the United States in that sense, even though juridically speaking, we're not because of some cases that happened in the last century, the beginning of 1900s, they're called the insular cases, and they decided to give us the status of an unincorporated territory, which obviously it's, it's a class apart from our, every other territory. Usually, territories are classified incorporated territories. Those are the ones that have a path to statehood, and in our case, we're an unincorporated territory, therefore, we are basically a colonial possession of the United States. And the basic misunderstanding of the people in the 50 states is what are we and where do we want to go? And basically, we have in 2012, we had a status, a political status plebiscite. There were two questions to answer. One, do you want to continue with the present arrangement? That was the first question. And 54% of the people answered in the negative. No, we do not want to continue with the present arrangement because it's very unfulfilling to the Puerto Rican people. The second question is, where do you want to go from here? And there were basically three answers. A statehood, independence, or Estado Libre Asociado Soberano, or Sovereign Commonwealth, or Free Association, which is the way, the term that's used by the United Nations. Well, depending on who you ask, and depending on how you count the ballots, statehood one, by either 61% if you don't count the blank ballots, or it won by 44% if you count the blank ballots. The only option that really gained, because he had never been asked before, was free association. More than 25% of the people decided that they wanted some kind of free association with the United States. The United States has already three treaties with foreign countries in terms of free association. In the Pacific Ocean, Micronesia, Palau, and the Marshall Islands, they all have a free association status, which is a treaty with the United States, and they have in the Department of State an assistant secretary that handles those three countries that have free association treaties with the United States. New Zealand also has 
two treaties of free association with several islands which were colonial possessions many years ago. So Puerto Rico obviously needs to decide what it wants to do. What we're asking Congress, or we have asked Congress is, what are you able to offer? I mean, what do you want to offer the Puerto Rican people? Are you willing to offer statehood? Are you willing to offer a free association treaty? Or do you just want to offer independence? And, you know, we'll be fine with whatever you tell us, as long as you tell us what the options are, so we can then choose freely from those three options, two options, or if it's one, one option. But we need to know, we need Congress to express itself to let us know where does Congress or what is Congress willing to offer the Puerto Rican people. That's the voice of Jose Ortiz Daliot. He is a host here at Tertulia Política, political chit-chat. He's been working in many different realms in the political world in D.C. for many years, but he is Puerto Rican, and we're here in WQS, and we are 860M. And so it's tough for people to really get a sense of what's happening here. You were talking to us about how expensive it is to be Puerto Rican. It's There's a high cost. It really is passed on to the Puerto Rican people in many, many ways. You talked about the many ways that food and alcohol and gasoline, really the sales tax is one of the highest that there is in, in the United States. So for Puerto Ricans right now, they're they're stuck. They're feeling the squeeze. So people aren't really thinking so much about what it's like on a day-to-day, but what are the ways that you see that people are really feeling the crunch? Well, the people that feel the crunch a lot are leaving Puerto Rico. We have about a thousand families living about every other week. Uh, and this is a statistics that are put together by the ships that take the cars. For example, people shipping their cars to the United States, they're shipping a lot of cars to the United States, families that are leaving because they cannot really find job here, work. Unemployment rate in Puerto Rico is more than 12%. Unofficially, it's probably around 25 because 12% is what you obviously can measure of the people that are looking for jobs. But there's a lot of people that are really frustrated and they have stopped looking for jobs. Those people are unemployed or are maybe moving to the United States, particularly Florida. As, as you know, in Orlando, we have a, a very big Puerto Rican population. About 850,000 Puerto Ricans live in the Orlando area. A lot of people are, are living there and are living also to Texas. Texas, for example, teachers, nurses, professionals that cannot find a job here are moving to those states where they can maybe find a job a little bit more easier because it's, it's not as easy as it was before to find jobs in the United States as well even though the economy is obviously revamping itself more rapidly than it is here. And here, the public debt has really taken its toll. For the first time in our history, we did not pay the bonds that we had to pay. So it's really a very tough situation in the island. We have the highest, as you said, the highest sales tax in the United States, 11.5. In New York, which is one of the most expensive cities in the United States, it's it's 8.7. Taxes here, even though we do not pay federal income taxes, the taxes that we pay in the, in the island are equivalent to the federal tax code. In addition to that, the sales tax is high. We have to pay high excise taxes for gasoline. We have to pay high energy costs. We're talking about 22 cents a kilowatt, which is probably the highest in the United States except maybe Hawaii. The water bill, we have a very water shortage right now. We are now three days in my area, three days without water, one day with water, even though we're still paying a very high rate for our water services. So the situation in the island for the middle middle income families, it's a, it's a very tight squeeze. I was telling you the, the people that are very poor probably have it a, a little bit better because they get 
free public housing. They have a free medical plan. They also have food stamps or the equivalent. We have a, our own program. And they're subsidizing water as, as well as in energy. So the middle class and the professional class are the ones that are really uh, suffering consequences of the bad economic situation of the island. And right now it's really hard in the U.S. to get any information about what's happening in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's in headlines because of the August 1st payment that wasn't made in terms of the debt that we all know is, is in crisis. Where do you recommend people go to get news that gives a more complete picture of what's happening here? Do you have any suggestions for people who read either only in English or in Spanish? As you know, the, the internet obviously has facilitated communicating with the world. For example, our program, you can connect yourself with the internet, qbsradio.com, W qbsradio.com also ndi.com which is the biggest newspaper in the island El Nuevo Día it's ndi.com Primera Hora which is also Primera Hora you put Primera Hora it will come out also Metro they have papers all over the world but Metro is a small but it's a very good paper so there, there's ways if you really want to access to information in the internet that's the way we access for example news from Spain news from Germany news from Japan so we can also share with our listeners in Puerto Rico what's happening in other parts of the world. Is there anything else you think is important for our listeners to know? Well, it's just to know that we're here, you know, because the West Coast in the island, most of our tourists come from the East Coast. So we have a, a great island in terms of tourists. We have a lot of attractions. We have great beaches. The people here are still very warm, regardless of the economic situation. Crime has gone down, so it's not like you should be afraid of walking in areas where tourism is mostly populated by people from the United States or other parts of the world. So, you know, you're invited to come down. I love San Francisco. I love Oakland. I love the Bay Area. So in the same manner that I go visit there and have some of your wonderful food and share some of your wonderful California wines, you can come down and share some of our rum and some of our local beer and some of our great food, como lechón asado. That's the voice of Jose Ortiz Daliot. He is a host for Tertulia Política, and we're about to go to his program, but we thank him very much for his time. You're welcome, and I hope you have a great stay here and take the message back home. Thank mm-hmm. you.
that we change and stay the same and use all of our family names and our language is scrambled between Creole, Spanglish and slang they haven't invented yet we be using words Boricua, Fayan, they dialect we say Fana for Patnam, Papa means you my peoples if we use Mommy probably means we love, respect you or need you if we say Chevere or Vaya then something's por la maceta mientras you might hear coño cuando alguien molesta even a blonde blue-eyed Boricuas we call negro or negra all of my people so frito, todo tienen una mezcla pa' que sepa, that's why we blend in donde quiera Borincano suben la mano, everybody shout wepa And we don't know what that mean, it's just what Borincano scream Oakland Island of Queens, nah We not Puerto Rican, we Boricua Our original name before the Niña Pinta y Santa Maria Que va? Next, an interview with Puerto Rican cumbia band Los Chinchillos del Caribe, recorded on the streets of Santurce, Puerto Rico. Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza, La Raza Chronicles. We are here in beautiful Puerto Rico and we're taking advantage of our time here to speak with local artists, up-and-coming artists in Puerto Rico. I am joined tonight by members of the band Los Chinchillos del Caribe. <laughs> Thank you so much. Gracias a ustedes por hablar con nosotros esta noche. We should take a moment to introduce all of the members of the band. <laughs> okay, my name is King Chinchillo. I'm the lead singer of the, of the band. My name is El Señor Bizarro. I'm the problematic, I'm the, <laughs> the rapper. My name is La Leyenda. I'm the guitar player. And there are a couple of other members yeah, that yeah, are missing from the yeah, band. Missing. The Señor Calavera is missing right now, uh, Mr. Toxic. Uh, Macumba is the, the percussionist. percussionist. So, uh, he's the bass player. So, to start off, tell us how you all got together, how you got started, and why Cumbia? Okay, we are like all friends from different bands here in Puerto Rico. And one day, uh, a great friend of ours uh, brings CDs of Cumbia at the studio. And then we, uh, we got together and we started like uh, jamming around with Cumbia. and. We form around the band, so la cumbia nos atrajo 
y empezamos en la huelga de la Universidad de Puerto Rico, a strike here in the University of Puerto Rico, and we started in 2009, empezamos allá y nada, desde que salimos hasta el sol de hoy ha sido todo increíble, la aceptación del público ha sido o sea, una sorpresa, un bonito accidente. So okay. you've been well received in Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico is often known for salsa, merengue, yeah. reggaeton. Um, so to see cumbia is a very unique thing from Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been amazing. I think uh, the thing is that cumbia is so taboo, like how Puerto Rican cumbia, what is that? I think it's not that far of our rhythms, you know, like, like bomba, like the African rhythms, like the drums and, and like the, the dances and... I think it's just like the family tree of Latin music, you know, and it hasn't been like exploited. We thought, why not? Nos atrevimos, fuimos atrevidos yeah. y lo hicimos. In the Bay Area, we are very used to listening to lots of cumbia artists, Celso Piña, uh, Chicano Batman, bands from LA. What are some of your influence in terms of the cumbia that you guys play? To me, uh, Los Fabulosos Cadillacs is my major influence because I always wanted to do ska with reggae, with salsa, with, uh, I want to do like a Sancocho of music. I always was the weird rocker because I, I love reggae, love salsa, I love, you know, ballads and everything. And I, met this guy, he, he saw me rapping in the street. 
Any other cumbia artists that influenced your music or other musicians that yeah, really influenced you? The first CDs that I got from cumbia was um, uh, Juan Eco y su Combo from Peru. Yeah. Also, I like Cumbia Villera a lot, uh, Damas Gratis, Pablo Lescano, also Vive Chorro. To me, also opinion is like my guru because it was rock muffin and it was more like we had a funky side, like a modern side. Like a, you, know, you know, Cumbia is like something that when you were a kid, you were a rock and roller, you thought that was lame, like, ah, oh, Cumbia. But it's like it, it, gets, it gets a hold of you because it's. So you, you see a girl dancing and you want to dance. That's just <laughs> easy as that. You all have a very unique look. Uh, you wear Lucha Libre mask when you're performing. What's yeah. that all about? Uh, when we started at the, at the strike on the University of Puerto Rico, here in the island, if you go in a huelga, you get in a list to the del calpeta and say you get like yeah yeah, yeah. You signal out and you know they can persecute you you know and he was a student of, of the university so but the thing is that we're doing cumbia right we're from Puerto Rico and also the cumbia is in Mexico it's in Colombia and we were like doing esta mezcla de cultura mezclando lo mexicano lo colombiano y lo boricua so que queríamos hacer una unión intercultural so que por eso básicamente lo de las máscaras para and have fun. Everybody loves to dress up in Halloween. Everybody loves to use a mask, so we do it all year. So. so what is it like to perform in Puerto Rico? Is everybody out and dancing? Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing because uh, normally to say we have Puerto Rico like a rock and roll scene, a punk rock scene, hip hop scene, salsa scene, but cumbia is like the people when we started, it's like, who the hell are, are these guys? But at the second songs, the girls start dancing, the boyfriend, oh, this is groovy, like reggaeton, but we're not reggaeton artists. We say, nos respetamos a los reggaetoneros, pero we're more than reggaeton. We're like mixing rock and roll with cumbia, with salsa, and it's been amazing, electronic music. So it's been amazing. So the reaction of the public, uh, it's amazing. Are there any other cumbia artists, or are you guys the only ones really kind of breaking out in that scene in Puerto Rico? The thing is that there's a couple bands because right now there's a scene happening in Puerto Rico that's a, like a really eclectic group like Orquesta Macabeo, the, the punk rockers who play salsa. And there's a, there's a band called the La Quilombera. They, como dice, coquetean. They coquetean con la... They mix it up. But we do like the straight cumbia and we mash up other influences with cumbia. Like, it's always a cumbia base. Oye, güey. Guantanamo 
sin pena Si no queda, se queda Su cuerpo pide cumbia Ya me pide, yo le doy Ya me pide, yo le doy Ya me pide, yo le doy Pura cumbia Por ti me tiro al escenario Como el señor Calavera Ay, ay, ay Tú me vas a meter un lío Cada vez que me pasa por el auto A mí me tiene mira como confundido Mujer, ay, ay, ay Tú me vas a meter un lío Cada vez que me pasa por el auto A mí me tiene mira como confundido Mujer, la mía se llamaba Wanda No era una santa Ella nunca salía de brava Se dio cuatro palos y como pastel se volvió Y al son del güiro Esto se jodó y ahí fue que yo borré cinta Y me dejé llevar por su aroma y su pinta Los dos bailando en la pista Me miró a los ojos y me confesó que a ella le gusta la cumbia Ya me pide y yo le doy, ya me pide y yo le doy Ya me pide y yo le doy, pura cumbia Guantanamera sin pena, si no queda, se queda Su cuerpo pide cumbia Ya me pide y yo le doy, ya me pide y yo le doy Ya me pide y yo le doy, pura cumbia por ti me tiro al escenario como el señor Calavera Ay, 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 tú me vas a meter un lío Cada vez que me pasas por el auto a mí me tiene mira como confundido Mujer, ay, 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 tú me vas a meter un lío Cada vez que me pasas por el auto a mí me tiene mira como confundido Mujer Anybody want to tell us about the area we're in right now? It's a changing neighborhood and there's a lot of music coming out. We are out. now in Santurce, Puerto Rico, La Calle Serra. This street has been uh, like a movement. A moment for like, the art scene yeah. and the music scene. It's like the wind with the Puerto Rico. Ah. Because... Dale, lo esperamos. Seguro. Nos vemos ahorita ahí. Dale. No, ahorita no. Perfecto. Cosa buena. Gracias. As we're saying, we're in the barrio. Estamos en el barrio de Santurce. It's like a, como una ciudad abandonada, pero poco a poco. It feels like a community, you know, and it's it's awesome. A lot of good art you see around you. International artists like paint here, and also right now we're in the corner of Calle 13 Guitarist, like opening this huge place, abierto para el arte, la literatura, la, lo culinario y and music. So, aquí está la esencia. And Puerto Rico right now is going through a really difficult, challenging time. We hear a lot about the economic crisis and the debt crisis. There's also a very serious drought going on in Puerto Rico. Yeah. How do you see it's your music rough. playing a role in the experience of Puerto Ricans right now? We, we had an interview way back. This guy was trying to pinpoint like we were a political band because we started in the UPR like protesting and to us, like the revolution is dance and happiness and we want to bring joy to the community. We want to, for a half an hour, 45 minutes of our show, that people feel they're in another place, they're having fun, they're dancing. We can have women dancing sexy, but we can have little kids dancing on stage with us. We, si, somos los que le ponen la cherry al mantecado. La cherry al mantecado. <laughs> 
So it's like uh, we are the guys that put the cherry on top of the ice cream. So our listeners have been taking a listen to your music. We've been playing it. We've been speaking to you guys. How can they get a hold of your music? Okay, right now we're in the studio finishing the album. The album's already finished, but we are like bringing these producers from Cumbia. But yeah, we are like mixing the album. Uh, we have like a SoundCloud. You can check out our SoundCloud slash Los Chinchillas, also on Spotify. But stay, stay tuned. Well, we'll definitely link our listeners on our website to your guys' videos. And I wish you a ton of success. Yeah. And muchísima suerte y gracias por hablar con nosotros. Seguro que sí, aquí estamos o sea. los chinchillos del Caribe, cumbia pa' tu cintura, desde Puerto Rico. Lo tenían, lo tosado, lo tenían, lo pillado, lo tenían, lo tizado Yo piché, ready pa' combate en la mía Había un par de jeva, par de cookie, par de mina Y yo que empezaba a llevar una pa'l motel Pero aquí chinchillo no se me puede perder Ten cuidado, ten cuidado, ten cuidado Esa mujer es peligrosa Dicen que también venenosa Y que muchos han llevado Tiene de ser, pero ya me enseñó el bizarro Le dije que me buscara, que estaba bien al garo Y él me recordó que teníamos reventón Que teníamos que llegar, que estaba por empezar Que todo el mundo estaba esperando los chinchillos La botella llena y el corillo encendido A olvidar la pena me dio un chote chichaito Y aunque no tengo un peso yo invito Y seguí cantando, y seguí cantando Y el parí se encendió Y de repente de la multitud aquel personaje apareció y yo le dije
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. We have on the line with us Anthony Lucero. He's the director of East Side Sushi. And it's a film that if you haven't caught yet, we really you know, recommend that you take advantage of this opportunity. It's going to be on the big screen soon. And it's a film that follows the story of a woman in Oakland who is frutera, who's caring for her family and her path and her work as she decides to enter the world of sushi and Japanese cuisine. And it's a film that I got a chance to see um, when it was part of film festival not too long ago, but it was in limited release. And it was something I was so excited about and I wanted my friends to see, but they didn't have the opportunity to see it right away. So Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Anthony, you are a Bay Area person. You're someone that really was committed to telling a story that was beyond just what people think of when they think of Oakland. You decided to really focus on these characters that are supporting each other and just the the different mixing that Oakland brings about. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the Oakland that they can see, you know, because a lot of our listeners are in the Bay Area. What can they see when they watch your film? Yeah, I loved shooting in, in Oakland. Like you said, I, I grew up, born and raised in Oakland. I grew up in the Fruitvale, went to school there. And I wanted to highlight Oakland in the film. I mean, even the title East Side uh, refers to the East Side of Oakland. And it's a great place to film this because Oakland is a food town. I mean, Oakland has, I feel, the best food in the world. Because there's so many cultures in Oakland, and with so many mixed cultures, you have great food. So it's a great place for the story because we have a mix of Japanese and Mexican as the leads in one film. And and I think Oakland is just the perfect place for that. So this film, East Side Sushi, it played, it got great reviews, it got a lot of love from different audiences, and it's coming back. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about the film and also tell them where they can see it. We went on the festival circuit. Uh, We started off at CineQuest in San Jose last year, and it's a film that, it's a story of Juana. She, you know, she tries sushi for the first time and she falls in love with it. And we actually shot there on Grand Ave at Coach Sushi. It's a film that I thought maybe wouldn't resonate with the rest of the country. I thought it's it's a small film. It was made locally, and I thought maybe it just had a lot of local flavor, and I wasn't sure if that would reach other audiences. But it just it kind of took off, and it started to play in the Midwest, in Indianapolis, and in Wisconsin, and surprisingly, it started to win awards at all these different festivals. And I just sort of stand back and watch it and think, wow, this is kind of incredible. This is going beyond what I thought it was going to do. So, you know, went out to the East Coast towards Florida and did well there. So I'm just, I'm so happy that after all this time of being on the film circuit that we finally have distribution and we could finally go into theaters. So we're we're opening in California. We're starting off in the West Coast in California. You know, we're going to be at the Grand Lake Theater. I'll be there on September 18th with some of the the crew and cast uh, for Q&A. And then we're also going to be, at the same time, we'll be at the Elmwood in Berkeley. Uh, We'll be at the Rafael in San Rafael. And we'll be at the Kabuki in San Francisco. And Camera 12 down in San Jose. So uh, a lot of Bay Area presence for the film. Why is it so important for people to see independent films that they're excited about during opening weekend? Why is it such a big deal for people to come out? It's it's a huge deal. You know, it's it's very difficult to get a film like Eastside Sushi into theaters because there's what, you know, they call quote unquote no names, no names attached to the film, no name actors, no name director. 
And because of that, a lot of bigger studios just don't want to take it on. They want to put somebody's face up on a billboard that you recognize. And with a film, an independent film like Eastside Sushi, you just don't have that. So it's important to get the support of people, of film lovers, to come out and support the film. And it just it sends a message that, yes, these films are important. These are films that people want to see. And also, it spreads the word to other theaters across the country. If it does well in the Bay Area on that opening week, weekend, then it, it can go across the country, and, and hopefully it will. That's the voice of Anthony Lucero. He's the director of East Side Sushi, and people are going to get to see it on the big screen in just a little bit. So how can people connect to the film? Of course, we have a, a Facebook page and Twitter and, and all that where people can connect. I, I think Facebook is probably the best place to find out where we're going to be next, what other theaters we're going to be in. But, you know, we'll do this week run on September 18th, and that may be the end of it, and it may never be in theaters again, but hopefully people come out and support it, and we could go for another week after that. That's the voice of Anthony Lucero. He's the director of Eastside Sushi, which takes place in Oakland and tells a story of a young woman and her family, who I think a lot of us will relate to, and also her just journey through understanding and being exposed to Japanese cuisine and the different people she meets along the way. You'll see a lot of Oakland that you love, get to see, you know, just some really positive portrayals of our, our community. So I hear it took a village to make this film a reality. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. It takes a village to, to make a film. And, you know, I, I had the screenplay. I wrote it. And my producer, Julie Rubio, sort of took it and ran with it. And got the crew, uh, along with uh, Vicky Wong, was also the associate producer. And they helped to gather these fabulous crew members, all from the Bay Area, to make the film. And, you know, everybody worked for next to nothing. We had producers work for free. My, a lot of my cast worked for free just because they wanted to make this happen. And... And aside from that, I mean, just filming in Oakland, uh, we filmed at Coach Sushi on Grand Ave, and he let us shoot there for free. And it was just a lot of love, a lot of, I guess, I don't know you call it, Oakland love, Bay Area love, and people just opened up their hearts. And we had, you know, restaurants that gave us food while, while we were shooting. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing to to film in, in the Bay Area in, in Oakland and and. Uh, it's a film that was done with just very little money and uh, a whole lot of heart. Thank you so much. And I hope people can come out on the 18th and uh, and support us. I'll be at the Grand Lake with some of the cast and crew on the 18th and 19th. I'll be at San Jose Camera 12 and the Kabuki in San Francisco. And we'll also be at the Elmwood and in Berkeley and the Rafael in San Rafael. So I hope people can come out. Larasa Chronicles listeners, it's time now for our ticket giveaway. We'll be giving away two pairs of tickets to go see famous Chilean reggae band Godwana at the Mezzanine in San Francisco tomorrow night. Call us now at 510-848-4425. That's 510-848-4425 to win a pair of tickets to go see Godwana at the Mezzanine in San Francisco tomorrow night. Callers number 5 and number 10 will be the lucky winners. Mucha suerte!
confabular Trayéndote a mi realidad Y siento que abrazado a ti Nuevamente vuelvo a soñar Mi mente se pierde en el tiempo, amor Rasa Chronicles Community Calendar. Don't miss an opportunity to groove and dance to the sounds of famous Chilean reggae and Espanol band Godwana. They'll be performing at the Mezzanine in San Francisco tomorrow night. For more information on tickets, check out the Mezzanine website. And to make sure to mark your calendars for these upcoming events. On Thursday, September 24th, Aunt Lute Book presents Our Indigenous Flesh a literary event featuring award-winning and dynamic authors Leanne Ho and Irene Lara Silva. The two authors will be discussing the role of literature in naming, healing, and remembering personal and community histories, indigenous queerness, and the mystique of women of color writers. That's Thursday, September 24th at 7 p.m. at Galeria de la Raza in San Francisco. And on Saturday, September 26th, Earshot Entertainment presents... Brazilian legend of hip-hop, straight from Rio, Marcelo G. Dois. He will be performing at the Mezzanine in San Francisco along with DJ KBLO and DJ Alfie One. Doors will open at 9 p.m. That's on Saturday, September 26th. Brazilian legend of hip-hop, straight from Rio, Marcelo G. Dois. For tickets, check out the Mezzanine website. That's it for La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza's community calendar.
You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA 94.1 FM, community-powered radio. If you would like to hear this program again or share it with others, you can go to soundcloud.com and search for La Raza Chronicles. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook to check out photos of Puerto Rican cumbia band Los Chinchillos del Caribe. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for more noticias, música, arte y mucho más del mundo latino. Hasta la próxima.